The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of the Heat Check, it's a Friday, so you know, let's get you ready for the weekend. I am all fired up this episode about Draymond Green, baby. Draymond Green, his comments were absolutely wild about why the Warriors claimed out last year. We got to get into them. We talk about the early goings of the MVP race. I'll unpack some of the young guns of the league that you not know, and we'll get into the Friday show. Oh, yeah, by the way, did I mention, I did a full-ass interview with Rich Hoffman covering Philadelphia sports. Forever. So we break down I start the six season. How Philly sees the Harden saga so much differently than the Ben Simmons era and what more that Philly needs to do to truly contend. I know what you're thinking, Tristan. You're fucking sleep. No! That's irrelevant, William. Drop that motherfucking beat that should be Rihanna. Break we're breaking down all the biggest NBA storylines. You're tuned in. To the Heat Check. The Heat Check with Trista Crick. The best podcast covering all the drama around the association. Okay. What am I all fired up about? Let's get into it. I got to move my chair up a little bit. I got to do some things. I got to move around. You know that this has to be about Draymond Green, right? If you haven't heard the bite, I know that you've heard. either heard it or you need to hear it. Because it is apparent that Draymond Green just doesn't want to let things go. The drama that started at the beginning of the season last year and really didn't end, I thought, until maybe they moved Jordan Poole, is still actually a thing if you just come out of a coma. Uh, Here's what happened in 20 seconds. Before the season started last year, Jordan Poole said some off-brand shit to Draymond Green. Draymond Green punched the shit out of Jordan Poole. It got caught on a live feed. Somebody leaked it. Draymond Green did not get suspended. Jordan Poole never got over it. There was a rift. Jordan Poole got moved. Draymond Green stayed. Draymond Green got an extension. End scene. Some of the rumors were that Jordan Poole called Draymond an expensive backpack for 30, a.k.a. uh, a side bitch for Steph Curry. So it was very dramatic. As you might imagine, the Warriors moved on. Like I said, everyone's happy. Or are they? Or are they? So at this point, you're like, why are we even talking about this? Well, because Draymond Green decided he was going to uh, talk about it. They asked him uh, about the difference between last season and this season after they beat the Kings to start the season 4-1. and Very hot, hot, hot. Here's what he had to say. Last year, we had an awful team as far as chemistry goes. Um, it was pathetic. Uh, but chemistry has been a strong suit here. That's why Steph has been here for 15 years, Clay's been here for 13, I've been here for 12, and Luna's been here for nine. Because chemistry is a strong suit, and Andre Udala, the list goes on and on. That's why so many guys have been around here for so long, because the chemistry is what we've hung our hat on. Well, you look at last year, you say, oh man, this team hasn't lost a, uh, a Western Conference Series under Steve Kerr, and then it happens. The big reason why is our chemistry sucked, and so, you know, I don't look at that as, oh, man, like this is a team that, you know, we, we, we struggle with chemistry. I mean, yeah, we struggle with our chemistry for years. It was a one-year thing. Things, you know, stuff happens, and it was an anomaly. But, you know, we're right back where we need to be in, in that department. And most importantly, I think there's still room and will be growth in that department. How was the burns last year? Oh, yeah, no, that's all good. Um, last year was horse It's hard to come to work. Y'all see me trying to do Clay's little paper airplane. Uh, it was hard. It was hard to come to work. Um, not fun, you know. Uh, and so this year, you see the joy, uh, you know, on guys' face when they come in the building. You got guys like staying over two and three hours after, just sitting around talking, getting here two and three hours early, just to be here. You know, it's like 
You start to see that and you're like, okay, this is a group. Blah, 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 blah. I am so shocked at the gall, the lack, as my mom would say, have you no healthy shame, Draymond? Are we serious right now? You wanted to talk about how badly the chemistry was on that team last year? When you're the one that caused the shitty chemistry because you physically assaulted the teammate and he didn't want to go back to being like, oh, yeah, big bro, you can just do whatever you want now. Are you serious? Like, you don't want to move on past a very bad moment in your career? That is, Draymond is outrageous right now. Even after this holy shit game with Clay beating a double team to hit a last-second game-winning shot, all Draymond can talk about is how much better it is now that Jordan Poole is not on the team. That's insane. You are horseshit for that. I like Draymond Green, but that is fucking wild. That is absolutely wild. The Warriors are cooking, and that's not just a chemistry thing. Steph Curry has been carrying them so far the first five games. Curry's been insane. And yes, the team is off to a hot start, especially on the road. But do you know what's going to drag down the vibes? is you bringing more attention to yourself about you fucking up the vibes last year. Move on. Pretend it never happened. Do not talk about the past. Draymond's already derailed one season by not being able to get past his own stupidity. Apparently, he refused in the reporting. He refused to get dinner with Jordan Poole to apologize and bury the hatchet. And now he's still talking about it. As a wise man said, shh, be quiet. All right, let's move forward. Let's talk about uh, the MVP market. So, MVP, is it going to be Giannis? Is it going to be Jokic? Is it going to be Embiid? It's been a big man's league, folks. A big man's league. So, I wanted to include a gambling segment for a while, but it's very hard to do when you record three times a week and betting markets change and it's game to game and it's not a once a week thing. A lot of NBA lines only drop the day of, player props, etc. Teams also play with the injury report and... You never know who's going to be in, who's going to be out. So instead, I figured every Friday we would check in on the NBA futures market, which is essentially the award market, uh, the winner of the East, winner of the West, et cetera, divisions, et cetera. But mostly the award markets I want to talk about. So let's talk about MVP this year. As a former financial advisor, I love how the futures market is kind of like the stock market. Buy, sell, hold. After a week of play, I think we're going to take our first look at the MVP market and who is leading and who shouldn't be and who should be. The leader out of the box should not be a shocker. Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic has been insane. He is currently sitting at plus 375, which means for $100, you get $375 back plus your original 100 Nearly 22% of bettors are betting him. 38% of the money is bet on him, on BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. He is a massive favorite, even if the odds don't reflect it. I think that is only going down. People are going to love Jokic. They're going to feel like last year he got robbed, etc. He's followed on the list by Luka at plus 450, which means $100 gets you $450 back. Jason Tatum, 7-1. to one. Giannis eight to one, Embiid ten to one, Steph ten to one, Booker sixteen to one, SGA eighteen hundred. Wow, that's pretty good for Shea to be right in the mix with Devin Booker and Steph. KD twenty to one, Dame twenty two to one, and Donovan Mitchell sitting there at thirty to one to round out the top ten. Here's my thoughts on the futures market right now: the fact that Giannis is third, third worst odds to win MVP. When the Bucs are dead last right now in defense, the new offense is not really as nearly as, as Giannis-friendly as they thought. I am not 100% or 1,000% sold on new coach Adrian Griffin either. I will say right now you should sell. If you have Giannis stock, sell Giannis stock. I don't think, if anything, you're only getting better odds than you will right now. I would not be shocked if a month from now it's plus 1,200, plus 1,300. The Bucs are going to need to figure their shit out before Giannis is a reasonable bet. I would not touch him as he stands unless it's like 18 to 1, 20 to 1. Steph right now for me is, is the buy. It is has a ton of value at 10 to 1. He's averaging 31, 5, and 4 right now. And it has been five years since a guard won MVP. Centers have won 
five MVPs in a row. Obviously, he's an incredibly popular player. He's going to have a bunch of games on national television. Everybody's going to be talking about him. Malika's going to be talking about him because she's from the Bay. You know how that whole thing goes. The more he plays, the better he plays, the more juice he's going to get. I would not be surprised one month from now if Steph isn't the leader in the clubhouse, if he's not plus 400 in a month. I would not be shocked. My hold of the week means don't do anything. Just stay right there. Just watch and listen. Jason Tatum, 7-1. to one. He started the season at plus 900, so he's falling a little bit. But listen, he's a roller coaster. You never know what you're going to get with Jason Tatum. You could get 10 games of him averaging 30 or more, and then you could have 10 following games of that at like 18. If you got a ticket on him, keep it. But don't buy one. You know what I'm saying? Like, do not buy one. Uh, BetMGM says that Jason Tatum has the second most tickets at 14% and the third highest amount of money at 10.5% of the money. So, yeah, there's a lot of Tatum backers right now. He's very good. But is he an MVP? I don't think he is an MVP. We'll be sure to keep you updated all week long. Well, we'll keep you updated next week in the futures market on Friday. We'll look at some other individual player markets. I kind of think we should do most improved next but we'll see. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Next up, it's uh, we got to talk about some players that are on the come up. We got to talk about some players that you need to know who are rising, rising stars. Not real stars, but better than role players, right? Young players who are going to become much better in the near future. Kind of guys that you hear them right now and they're a random name. You don't really know who they are. But if you listen to this podcast, you're like, okay, I can talk to my friends about him at the water cooler. It's like that check, like, oh, snap, I wasn't aware of your game. You know what I'm saying? Let's start in Portland. You know we got to start in Portland, right? Shaden Sharp. Shay. Shay. I asked Blazers beat writer Danny Morang about whether he was taking the next step, and he was like, oh, yes. I know that he may be young. He may be raw. He's certainly not a player that you could have control a team that's completely young, but you put him with real adults, and Shaden is going to show out. It excites me. He has this very interesting combination, right, because he's kind of like Devin Booker, Kind of like Ant Edwards, definitely a lot like Tracy McGrady. He's got so much game in him where you know he wants to be Kobe Bryant. He's 6'5 with a seven feet wingspan. That is insane. For context, Tracy McGrady, 7'2 wingspan, but he was three inches taller at 6'8. Proportionally, Shaden is way longer than Tracy McGrady. He's all arms. The way he moves on the floor, not only is he a pure scorer, because he is, he's an absolute bucket. He can rebound the hell out of the basketball. He can pass. He can get deflections because, again, he's so long. And the way he moves, it's like water. It really is. He doesn't have a big chip on his shoulder like a Ben Matherin or a Booker. He's going to bam on you, and then he's going to be like, I'm really sorry I had to do that. You know what I mean? Like, he's just a good kid. Love Shaden Sharp. One of my favorite players in the league. Averaging right now 26-3 and three with a steal and a block per game. That's insane for 20 years old. We didn't even know what we were going to get when we drafted him. We were like, we haven't even seen this player play at the college level. It has been 
probably 18 months since we've seen him play competitive basketball. It was a risk at seven. And boy, oh boy, he's shooting 86% from the free throw line after shooting 70% last year. He is a punisher. When he played against Detroit last night, I guess two nights ago, he was just hitting clutch bucket after clutch bucket, and they couldn't foul him. It's not like other guards. It's not a Ben Simmons situation. He is 100% on the come up. The next rising star I want to focus on, Devin Vassell. Who? Who? Do you watch the Spurs? Got to watch Devin Vassell. You might know him for this incredible fourth quarter that he had against the Suns. He had, uh, I think, 18 points in that game. They came back from 20 back to win. He had 18, 6, and 5, three steals, and was just a defensive stopper in the fourth quarter. Him and Keldon Johnson, another guy who's on the come up as well. Keldon Johnson was the one who snatched the ball from Kevin Durant and then just bammed on him with 1.6 seconds left to go. Anyway, back to Vassell. He's averaging 24 and 3 so far this season. He's got everybody excited. He's very fun. The Spurs team is the youngest team in the NBA. They all love Victor Wambanyama. We like that Sohan character because he's kind of like Dennis Rodman. But Devin Vassell, Devin Vassell might be the connective tissue on this team. 6'5", positive wingspan, can get deflections, can shoot a little bit. Not a bad three-point shooter. Very good in the mid-range. His two-way comp is, is Mikel Bridges, which is very good. Athletic, 3 and D guy, great in the mid-range, can hit a three, 3-3% from distance critical. I mean, keeps you honest, keeps you honest. And I think that his length is the most effective part of his game, considering that he has a 6'10 wingspan. And his job is really going to be guarding the other team's best players, averaging 1.5 steals per game. He's a really good rebounder. Like, just familiarize yourself with Devin Vassell's game. We move on to another guy you probably don't know. And you probably, if you haven't watched a lot of NBA for the first five games of the season, three games of the season, whatever it is, his name is Jalen Johnson, and it sounds like a creative player name, but he's a real guy. And 6'9", plays for the Atlanta Hawks. You're wondering, oh, Trista, why were the Hawks so eager to get rid of John Collins? Jalen Johnson, that is why. He's getting almost as many rebounds as the center, Clint Capella, but he can hit a three, so he can keep you honest. His rebounding ability, awesome. The dude is 6'9", and he moves like a shooting guard, and he can stretch the floor. Very effective score. One of the best in the league. 62% from the field right now. Not a high volume shooter, but again, keeps you honest. Very good defender. You can see him as maybe like a wish version of Michael Porter Jr., but with better defense. All of that, I don't mean to sound like I'm slandering him. I'm not. Very high level role player. In my opinion, could be like a quieter version of Jaden McDaniels without punching the wall and breaking his hand and shit like that. Very much of a nightmare matchup. And he might be one of the main reasons that the Hawks have a little bit of hope. Have a little bit of hope for the future. Let's move forward. Uh, it's the mailbag. Mailbag time. Just in time for one question. I don't have a lot of time. We got a 35-minute interview with Rich Hoffman. Let's not bore you. Uh, this question is from Marco in Elmhurt. Is that a real place? Elmhurt, Illinois. He is a sad Bulls fan, as most Chicago fans probably are these days. Mark posted this to me on IG. If you're the Philadelphia 76ers, would you rather trade for Zach Levine or wait for OG Ananobi in free agency? Oh, oh, wow. Uh, very timely question. Rich Hoffman is going to have a lot to say on the topic of who the Sixers should go after in a couple of minutes. So hold on. Uh, we're going home for that, but I want to address this question as well. Turns out there are rumors that Sixers are interested in either Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Daryl Morey, of course, has his eye on OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam in the offseason. So let's weigh the pros and cons, right? So you have the, you have the assets to do a deal with Chicago. Levine's a bucket. He averaged 25 a game last year. He just put up 51. But the problem is he put up 51 with no assists, zero assists. The Nick Nurse system, you got to keep the ball moving and flowing. He's going to open up spacing probably for Embiid and Maxi, but you need a guy that can get you buckets down the stretch. You need a guy that can get you buckets in the postseason. And since De Tobias is on an expiring, probably going to be part of this deal, I don't know that that would deplete the bench too much. But, like, how much better – oh, man. How much better is he really than Tobias Harris? There are some cons as well. The guy is a microwave, right? He had 43 last year as his high. 
and a low of four. And it was a full game against Orlando when he had four. So let's not act like Zach Levine is in a roller coaster. Some games he's good for 35. Some games you get him 16 or 17. When you bet on player props, you do not want to bet on Zach Levine. Mostly, though, there's question marks about his health. Zach Levine had back surgery, back issues, knee issues his entire career. Last year, he played 77 games, but he's missed a quarter or more of the season in five to six years. So the man is not exactly the picture of good health. So my take, I guess, you need to make a move, but I'm not sure Levine's the guy. But I also don't think OG Ananobi's the guy either. If I had to choose one, I would choose OG Ananobi. I like OG Ananobi a lot, but I think, I think you should go out and get DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, one of the most clutch players in the league. He led the league in fourth quarter scoring two years ago. And B may not want to wait anymore for a young guy to develop. I would for sure trade for DeMar DeRozan and wait for OG Ananobi, and then you got yourself a fucking cooking-ass roster. All right, let's move on to this interview. Let's do it. Please welcome to the Heat Check our special guest, Rich Hoffman, 1F, friend of the show, former writer at The Athletic and all things Philly. He lives and breathes Philadelphia sports. He also has a daily newsletter, the P-H-L-Y Philly Daily Newsletter. He also has a great podcast on the same site. Check out his Twitter, Rich underscore Hoffman, H-O-F-M-A-N-N. One F, two N's, very confusing. Keep on up with all of his doings. Rich is great. He gets it. Conversation was awesome. Really broke down the Harden situation to a T. So let's jump into it. All right, let's welcome to the show, Rich Hoffman. It has been a minute. The last time I talked to Rich, it was still, we were still firmly embedded in the Ben Simmons era. Uh, Rich Hoffman with one F. Go find him on his Twitter, Rich underscore Hoffman, one F. He also has a newsletter, P-H-L-Y daily newsletter. Also, there's podcasts, so go check it out uh, to find him. Philadelphia 76ers, but also all things Philadelphia. We'll call that uh, the team du jour is the Sixers. Thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Trista. Yes, it was uh, it was another crisis we were dealing with whenever that was a couple years ago. I'm curious. That was the first thing that I thought of when I knew you were going to come on was how does that era in terms of how the fan base felt, how the people around the team felt compare? Because it was obviously a very toxic situation um, with Ben and the way that it ended. How does that compare to the way that things flamed out in the Harden era? I think it was it was pretty different, honestly. Like, I think, like you said, toxic is a good word. Um, I think there was a lot of emotion on both sides, you know, I think with the way Ben and clutch were kind of handling themselves that year where he he clearly didn't want to play. So that was obviously different with James, James. I don't think James wanted to play either, but there was the actual threat of him playing. Like he could play. I'm not sure Ben in retrospect was even ready to play at that point. Uh, but yeah, like I think, you know, Philadelphia, very, um, big sports city, very passionate, all of those things. I think Ben elicited a lot of those passions because let's be real. Like he was a fan favorite at times. Like they drafted him number one overall. He was a flawed, but very good player for a couple of years, played his butt off every game, obviously shooting thing. We can leave that to the side, but I don't know. James Harden, I think in retrospect was kind of a mercenary for these guys. Right. And I think the more you look at James Harden's career, it's a little bit sad. Like, what fan base is going to bat for him after this is all over? You know what? Like, what is the uh, the group of fans besides like his own personal fans, which I've encountered a bunch of them online over the years? But like, is it is it Houston? I, I guess it it must be. But he kind of left them for you know he left them for dead, and it wasn't a great like spot to be in. Um, that was not a great ending how he how he handled himself there. So I guess my point is like there was a little bit of apathy in Philadelphia for this like. Yes, people were sick of James Harden. Yes, people just wanted him to go, but it was different this time. It was like, you know, it, it, I don't think when James Harden comes back, he'll get booed, but I don't think the same level of vitriol will be there like we saw with Ben Simmons. And I think that's almost a negative. Like, I think the fact that that happened for Ben was more like, okay, we used to love you. And I think in retrospect, James Harden felt like a hired gun. And uh, yeah, you know, it, obviously this is the third time he's done it in four years. And it was just kind of a, you know, like a joyless, like few months here where it was like, all right, can we just get on with this? Cause we don't want to deal with this guy anymore. It's funny too, because the worst thing that you can be as a Philadelphia sports fan, I'm sure 
right, is dispassionate. It's like Apathetic. love yeah. him or hate him, but like to have no opinion and just be like, meh, I'm kind of ready for this to be over. Feels like probably the worst place that a fan base can be that's as excitable and we'll call it like can deeply connected to the team as Sixers fans are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was. And, you know, I think James is kind of, he's a little bit of a dispassionate guy in general too. Like he clearly had his moments where he doesn't quite play as hard. I mean, I thought like, you know, it's funny, like there, there was some commentary in recent weeks, months, like this guy isn't even any good anymore. I'm like, well, okay, we can pump the brakes on that. He was pretty damn good last year. Uh, I get it. He, the, the end of the Boston series, not great. That's the story of his career, but like pr- pretty darn good player uh, last year. But uh, yeah, he just didn't quite connect with the uh, with the fan base the same way. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Like in Philadelphia, like the worst thing to be is apathetic. And when people are just kind of, you know, I, I've been around this my whole life. Like I've, I've lived here my whole life. These are my friends, my family, all, all of these people. If they're just kind of very quickly calling you a loser and just saying, get out of here. Like, I feel like we usually can do better. And that is a sign that maybe the good times were not quite as good as they were with Ben Simmons. Cause I think the other thing with Ben too, is like when, when he was good here, like the Sixers had a lot of hope, right? They had faults. They had all these draft picks. They had these assets, all of these things that they've completely blown by now, but there was like a hope that they could be the team for the next five or six years. And he was a part of that with James not exactly the same type of thing. So we get to the point where, you know, people are, are just happy that Daryl Morey has kind of moved on. It, it kind of was like a great trade. Who'd we get kind of thing. I feel like from a lot of people, I didn't view it that way, but um, that's kind of how people felt here. We'll table that for a second. Cause I do want to get your opinion on the trade. You know, I, I heard this not long ago. It was about last year and maybe March or April. And they said, Trista, you know, that like whenever the Sixers aren't playing, when it's not game day, if James can be in Houston, he is in Houston as we speak. Was that known? And that's insane. Like, that's insane for a player to never be in the city that they play for. Like, either they're either on the road, they're at practice, uh, or they're back in the city that they, you know, are connected to. Like, that's crazy to me. Was that something that was public or, like, insider knowledge that, oh, yeah, this guy's just – because that to me was a telltale sign that this guy's just not connected to the city at all. Yeah, that's also part of it too. Um, yeah, I think his his off-court habits have been made public in, in some sorts. And yeah, that was part of the deal with the team, right? Like where he, you know, Daryl Morey is kind of known what James Harden is like. Now, I guess the difference is when he first had him, he was actually in Houston. So, okay, yeah, he might be going to the club at night, but at least he's still in the city. Yeah, if you, and, you know, when you're on the beat, there are kind of different tricks where, you know, there are some different Instagram accounts you can follow and kind of see some of his friends and be like, oh, okay, that's where he is tonight, like, in general, like, those type of things. Yeah, that happened a lot, and, uh, yeah, I think that's that's always going to be the case with James Harden. The Clippers are going to have to deal with that to a degree as well. And I think for the most part, the Sixers were happy. They were like, look, like the Ben Simmons thing was crazy. We we needed a, a good player and we're going to deal with this guy like warts and all. And I think on the court, it was, it was pretty good. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty good for a lot of the time. But yeah, it, it was knowledge. Yeah. Within the team, I, I think even in the public, it seeped out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. People knew that, you know, he would go back to Houston a lot. He would party a lot, those type of things. Like, but that's, that's just who James Harden is, you know? Yeah. And that's go, that goes with the territory. I think for L.A., there's probably a little bit of solace in knowing that that's the place that he's from, right? And so he'll probably stick around in L.A. more, given that it's a homecoming for him. And it's insane to me. I was thinking about this today. Insane that Kawhi, PG, Harden, and Russ, all Los Angeles legends, all playing probably for the team that they didn't grow up rooting for, but still, yeah. still fucking awesome when you think about it from like a – human perspective totally like complete hotbed of talent in southern california like just great high school hoops over there and yeah pretty much all those guys around the same age just getting to play together yeah playing for the clippers which is funny i'm sure they probably didn't think about that as uh as kids and yeah maybe maybe james does stay around there but i guess my my thing with him is again I, i still think he's very good i think he's probably not like as good as he thinks he is to pull this whole thing like i felt like he was kind of putting his foot down like it was 2020 in Houston, like he was MVP level Harden. 
don't think he's at that level, but he clearly got his way here. Um, I just wonder, like, if he does keep doing this, like, is there a point where, like, he falls off a cliff? Like, you know, is there, is there a I think point it's where? Now. I think it's now. We'll see. You know, we'll see. I, I don't know. It's, um, you know, it, it's funny. In, in the past couple months, my, my favorite player of all time, just, just because of where I grew up and, you know, the team I rooted for growing up was Allen Iverson. And obviously very flawed player in some respects, certainly like to, to get after it off the court a little bit. But there was a time when Allen Iverson was like, you know, almost leading the league in scoring in Denver. And then like two years later, out of the league, like just just completely gone. And I do think like James Harden he's ahead of where Iverson is at that point, just because I think he's such a good passer and that has kind of aged a little bit better than AI. But, but I do hope he realizes like, Hey man, like there was one team that was going to trade for you. Just one. Like I, I really, if he did not accept that, that player option this year and he just went out in a free agency, I would have been really curious to see like, so somebody would have picked him up. Obviously like he's too good not to get picked up by somebody, but like, I think that market is so much narrower for a million reasons. Some of them not his fault, but a lot of them, yeah, his fault. Like that, that he has not made himself kind of a more willing role player on and off the court, those type of things. So we'll see this. This feels like his last chance though, like to, to make something happen, to play on a team this good and potentially to get paid. We'll see what bomber does in the off season. Yeah. So when the trade came down, I was super surprised. It came down super late at night too. Uh, the reporting is that Daryl Morey was sort of circumvented by Josh Harris, owner of the Sixers, and Steve Ballmer. I don't know if you have other insight into that, but just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on just the, your general tenor from Philadelphia's perspective on that trade. Yeah, as far as the, the ownership, I mean, owners are involved in everything. So, like, there is a degree of that in pretty much any transaction you make. Now, how much were they involved here? I don't exactly know. Like different people will tell you different things. I think some people would point to, okay, like where, where did that report come from? Like where, where are those places? Maybe it's James Harden leaking that to try and make Daryl Morey look a little bit worse. I, I will tell you though, um, just looking at what that trade package is. And I don't think it's terrible by any means. Like, I don't think it's awful, but I am a little surprised that Daryl Morey didn't hold out just because I covered this team two years ago when Joel Embiid was, you know, playing at an MVP pace and literally everybody was screaming after every 40 ball he would throw up. Can you trade Ben Simmons, please? Can you not waste a, a year of this guy's prime? So I was a little surprised that, you know, in week two of the season, like, okay, this is when the trade got made. And look, it makes sense from the Clippers standpoint, if they were going to do it, you got to do it early in the year. Like I, I saw James Harden, get integrated into a team later in the year that that doesn't work. You need a full year to like figure out how to play together, what rotations, those type of things. So I get that. And I get it from the Sixers standpoint because like they didn't want James Harden to play for them. Like they're actually playing okay at the beginning of the year. They have this new coach, new system. Tyrese is playing great, all those things. And James Harden, like, was he going to just do the end of the Rockets and Nets thing where he, you know, he runs up and down the court and he plays like absolutely zero defense and he's basically just tanking on the court. I mean, that would have been, it would have been interesting to watch for sure for me. But I, I guess if you're like in the Sixers organization, that's probably something you don't want to see happen. Um, so I was a little bit surprised though, that, that Maury kind of uh, quote unquote settled for this. Um, and, and you know what, maybe, and I, I think he'd probably tell you this, maybe he got to the point where he's like, look, man, we're dealing with one team. Like at some point, I think you, you do kind of just have to settle for the type of trade because as much leverage as we have on them, they, they want to make James a part of their team and figure out what works and what doesn't like we have one team we're dealing with. Like if they, if they leave, we are completely stuck with this guy. So that's ultimately what I think happened. I mean, obviously he didn't get Terrence man. He didn't get that other second round pick or that, uh, that second first round pick. He was uh, looking for the 2031 you know, he got some decent stuff in there, and obviously they have this flexibility to to make some moves, whether it's this season or in the off season when when all of these contracts expire or whatever. Um, but yeah, like I was a little surprised because it, it was not like when, when you looked at the the trade package, it, it felt like something he might have been willing to hold out for more, but maybe it was just a different situation than the Ben Simmons thing, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting. It felt like there was less stubbornness, I guess, on Daryl Morey's part because, you know, Ben Simmons and, and Daryl really aren't connected in any emotional way. There is no goodwill there. The way that Ben, 
kind of sold it on the season and how aggressive he was felt like maybe that was good and probably worth more money, right? Like just longer team control, younger, higher upside, more teams that could potentially take a, a, a swing on him. I'm, I'm curious though, because it seemed like Daryl Morey was in the same camp about Ben, which is we need to get better. We need to get pieces that get us a high level star to pair with, you know, our young guys and Joel. Who, who is that now, given what they got in this trade? And I like Nick Batum a lot, right? Good point of attack defender, can shoot, can play small ball five, play the four, play the three. You know, very underrated, a little old. But what do they have now outside of cap space to really make a move this year to add to this team being a legit threat to Milwaukee or Boston? So so I agree with you. And that that's kind of – I think the way you have to view this trade – was like the way I, I looked at it initially. When you just look at the pieces they got, the players, the the draft picks, I was like, eh, "That's like a B, B minus, something like that." Like that's that's not bad. Like, and maybe credit to Daryl for settling for that because maybe it wasn't going to get better. Um, but the way it's viewed, and Daryl said this yesterday at a press conference, is like this is a two part trade. Like th- this is the first part of it, and you really can't judge what happens um, until you see what we do with all this stuff. Um, that said. I'm like a little bit skeptical just because I like it's publicly available information. You could just Google it. Like it'll be on hoops hype or whatever, like 2024 free agents. Like look at that class. It's not the, you know, it's not the LeBron Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh 2010 class. Like it's not, you can look at the names. It's like Pascal Siakam. It's the two Clippers guys who I think they're going to resign, but that's like the players on the list. Um, You know, it's like, yeah, it's like the Raptors guys. It's like OG and 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 all of these guys. So it's not a very inspiring crop. Unfortunately for the Sixers, Tobias Harris is like way higher on that list than he probably should be. Like it's it's not a very strong class. So I think what the Sixers would say is they can do two things here. They can go into the offseason and they can have like $55 million worth of cap space. They they did not extend Tyrese Maxey this past offseason keeping his cap hold low. He's going to make a boatload of money next year, but they can at least like pay the other guys first and then pay him on top and be over the cap just because he was such a late pick uh, four years ago. Um, They could do that or they can go into this season and say, look, we have a bunch of these expiring contracts and they're like you said, it's like Batum, it's Rocco, it's, it's Marcus Morris. Um, Let's say even two of the three of those guys are somewhat playable for a team, but the good news for the team that would, trade for them is like look they're off your books after this year like they're, they're expiring so they're not like going to be like an anchor on your books for for three four years down the road plus the Sixers have three tradable first round picks now and I think the the one thing Daryl can at least I think take a little bit of a victory lap on like that 2028 Clippers pick that could be a pretty valuable trade ship now I, I don't think the Sixers want to make that pick obviously because they want to trade it to get somebody for Embiid but like you look Look at the ages of all those guys on the Clippers. Like, and so they're going to resign Kawhi, PG, Russ, uh, Harden. Those guys are going to be 40 years old at that point, and they don't have really any picks to trade on top of that. I know Steve Ballmer is is a great owner in terms of just he's willing to spend anything. He's the richest guy in the NBA, all those things. At, at some point, the you don't have stuff that, that other teams want, though. So um, I, I think that pick does have some, some value. And then the Sixers have... I think it's like a 2030 pick of theirs, which I think if, if you're another team, you'd be like, oh yeah, I'd love to short that team. Like, look, the the Sixers, if if we're patient, we we could either use that pick when Embiid is super old, or you know, maybe we could trade that to another team. So I think they would use those expiring contracts and then their um their picks to try and acquire a player this year. I think that is ideally what they'd like to do because Joel Embiid, I think, is sitting there like, hey, can we at least try to win something this year? Like, you know. This idea that we are, you know, the number four or the number three seed, but way below Boston, way below Milwaukee with no shot. Like, I'm 30 years old. I, I would like to actually have a puncher's chance to advance in the playoffs. So so that is what they are saying they're going to do. But, like, who is the player, right? You know, who's the player? Is it Donovan Mitchell? Does he get, um, you know, disgruntled in Cleveland? I, I don't know what the right answer is. It, it is not obvious to me. And I think, like, what the, the path that Daryl Morey took is probably the right one but it's also an uncertain one. Like I, I have no idea that the answers at the end of this cap space at the end of this expiring contract draft pick rainbow is going to be like a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, neither do I. And I guess the question that I have too for you is, I think the thing, and maybe I don't know the player it himself, but I think what Philly needs is what Philly has already had, which is someone that you rely on in the postseason to be yeah. the clutch bucket getter, right? The Jimmy <laughs> Butler. And obviously that's done. That's gone. Like that just would never come back as much as I think Joel and Jimmy would like to reunite. But that's what I feel is missing. Maybe Tyrese becomes that guy at some point. I don't know. I mean, Dame would have been an obvious clutch guy to to get if, for example, Portland didn't make that move right now and he's still sitting on Portland's books. Maybe you trade the third, three first-round picks for him and maybe Tobias and maybe like Jaden Springer or something. I don't know if that's yeah. enough. But like a clutch down-to-the-wire dude is the guy that I feel like Philly has been missing since Jimmy Butler. Is that what you think? And do you think Donovan Mitchell is that guy? Because I don't know. I don't know either. And I, I think the like like Jimmy would be the perfect one because I think ideally you have a great center. You have this ascending 6-2 scoring guard. You'd want somebody in the middle of those two, right? You'd want somebody on the wing, play a little defense, those things. Donovan Mitchell would not provide that. Obviously, there is a finite amount of star players available at any time in the NBA, so you're not always going to be able to check every single box. And so, some star players aren't clutch guys. Yeah, Zach Levine, and Zach Levine is not that dude. I know, and he's another name that has been mentioned a lot. I, I would not be for that just because I think Tyrese already gives you a lot of what he does and you know the cost, and I, I think the defense wouldn't be that great either. And I think that's part of the issue is that, look, I, I love Joel Embiid. Like, I think... Everything that this franchise has done around him has been like malpractice for the most part. Like he's just seen so many failed draft picks, so many terrible trades, just poor free agent signings. They stuck him with Al Horford one year, which was horrible. Um, so many things that just have not been his fault. That said, the one thing that is on his resume is he has not been as good of a playoff player as he's been in the regular season. And it's it's like you said, like he has not been the clutch bucket getter. He has not been he just struggles with double teams. Like I, I thought the, the Boston series last year was so frustrating because he had kind of lessened his turnovers pretty much every single season of his career. I mean, when he first started, he was throwing the ball into the eighth row every second play, and he just gradually got better and better and better and better. And I'm not saying he, he was Jokic in terms of passing. He wasn't, but he, he certainly made what was like a glaring weakness not quite as bad. And then they get in the playoffs against Boston last year, and it's like, 2017 2018 all over again like he just completely regressed so look i think some of that is is going to have to come from him and i think nick nurse is trying to install kind of a different offensive system where there's a little more movement around him empowering maxi they're doing a little bit more dribble handoff type stuff maybe that is a little bit of the um the solution there but i agree with you like they need somebody else who can get buckets late in games and i think tyrese can probably do that a little bit but yeah, somebody in between. And it's funny, you know, we mentioned the people who are available. One of the main targets that people say is OG Anunoby, who I think like, wow, I mean, that would be great defensively. Like, man, he could guard the other team's best guy, but that's not him offensively. And if you push all your chips in for OG, it's like, man, that's a lot of pressure on Tyrese Maxey to score and get, get buckets late in games. So that's kind of, it's like, like we said, that's kind of the issues that these teams, the, the Sixers are dealing with. Like, yes, they have a lot of flexibility. Yes. They, they have some picks now to deal with and, and they have some things to trade, but like, what are the right answers here? I, I don't exactly see who it is. You know who it could be before we switch topics because I do want to get your thoughts on Nick Nurse. It might be, and you could probably get him for the cheap, DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan at one point, fourth quarter clutch gene. I think two years ago, he was the clutchest player in the NBA. He's a bit older, so you're not going to have to give up a ton for him. Yes, maybe Chicago wants to extend him, but why? Chicago's a dumpster fire. Feels like Demar would be open to it. Feels like Embiid would be open to it. Awesome culture guy. I've look. I, I've seen it live. Like I, I think I went to Chicago both times the Sixers played them two years ago, and Sixers won those games. But Demar was spectacular in those games. And obviously, when he's got, it's a little bit of a clunky fit. Like he doesn't shoot a lot of threes. Um, has the ball in his hands a lot. But yeah, maybe. And th I think maybe that might be the answer moving forward too. Maybe it's somebody like Demar. And then if you get Demar, maybe you have a little bit of cap space left over, so you don't go you know, huge for one star, but you're, you're able to get kind of deeper around those guys. Maybe, you know, you can wield a little bit more than the mid-level exception. So you can get kind of the best role players on the market. Um, and maybe that's the answer. And I, I think 
the, the one thing for Sixers fans, Daryl Morey has had a little bit of a tough year, I would say, getting called a liar by James Harden, pretty rough, all of those things. Not 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 Daryl's best thing here. Um, even if the Harden thing kind of blew up in his face, I'm still I'm still a believer in him. Like I still think he's pretty damn good at his job. And I think what whatever the right path is here, like whatever the most creative um thing, and you know, I'm sure Joel will be kind of voicing his you know, his wishes and all those things. Like I, I'm pretty confident that he'll, he'll figure out whatever the best path is. I don't know exactly what that is, but I, I have confidence in the guy kind of running the ship here. In terms of this season, I am super impressed with how things are operating just much better flow than I imagined. Like the off season wasn't really that great. I, I didn't, no. didn't add a lot of pieces. There wasn't a lot of fanfare, nothing, I guess, fundamentally changed. And yet, you guys are starting off hotter than you know expected, right? You're third in offensive rating and net rating, fifth in effective field goal percentage, second in true field goal percentage, 12th in defensive rating. So that's not falling off. You're leading the league in blocks. You're top 10 in turnovers, top 10 in steals, top five in three-point percentage, which I think is pretty impressive. Tobias looks rejuvenated. He looks like a whole new dude. Com his confidence looks like it was when he played for the Clippers. Like to you, what what is the biggest difference? And I love Kelly Oubre on this team. Like culturally, he's I thought maybe it would be a chucklehead, but he's been awesome now in the starting lot. Like awesome. Um, but it feels like a lot has changed with very little player change. Like for in layman's terms, kind of compare and contrast it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I was a little bit skeptical just heading into the season. I was like, man, this, if they go this cap space route and they trade hard in, it's like, all right, they're going to have like a take their medicine type of year. I was not feeling too great about that. Like I was just like, and look, they, they made signings. Like they let like George Niang go. They let shake Milton go. And these guys are obviously not world beaters, but they won 54 games last year. Part of the reason is when one of like Joel or Tyrese or James was hurt, those guys could actually scale up and like help you a little bit. But the reason they let them go is because they signed multi-year deals in other places and they wanted to keep this cap space dry. So that limits who you're going to get. You know, Pep Bev accepts the one-year deal. Okay, that's cool. You get Kelly Oubre late. And I think a lot of people were like, oh man, like, you know, he's clearly kind of a knucklehead, all those type of things. You know, how, how could a 20-point scorer get signed? I think it was in like early September he got signed. Uh, but I was like, look, that's worth a swing. Like, I, you know, I, I completely understand the, the warts that Kelly Oubre brings, but you know, get him in with Nick Nurse and Joel. And, you know, the guy clearly has some talent in terms of scoring. Now, his first three games is, I was like a little bit optimistic. I was like, okay, let, let's see. Let's let's see if you can mold that talent. He's been spectacular in his first three games. And I, and I think that's kind of the, the first point here is like, yeah, they're probably going to regress a little bit. I'm not sure they're quite this good. But the one thing that I've seen from all of these guys is that, is that the ball is just like moving. Like the ball, the, the player movement, all of those things, it's very different from what James Harden and Doc Rivers did last year. It was, by the way, the Sixers offense last year, when James Harden came back in December, we're, we're going four months until the end of the season, best offense in the league, better than Sacramento, better, better than everybody. Um, but look, it was pretty simple. But, it was like, but wasn't it, it wasn't it like kind of like mortal Kombat? Have you ever played mortal Kombat when you have like the leg sweep uppercut? leg sweep uppercut and then like that's, that's pick just, and roll yeah yeah that's the that's the james harden joel Embiid pick and roll and it's like we're gonna do this every time and you're not gonna yep. stop us but it's like unwatchable basketball it yeah it wasn't that much fun to watch for sure and i think the the bigger point and something the, the reason they've installed all of this movement and kind of trying to be more unpredictable is in the playoffs it doesn't work it, it, yeah. it doesn't work against top defense now i don't think that's just the sixers problem like Boston's offense has not really worked in the playoffs. They're just slightly more talented than the Sixers. Like, I think what they saw from Denver is like, okay, they throw the ball into Jokic. They do all this crazy cutting. It's like, it's a little more sustainable from the regular season to the playoffs. It's a little harder to just game plan and hone in on. So you're right. You have two things here. You're you're trying to play. Um, you're trying to prepare for the playoffs and kind of be a little bit more unpredictable. Hopefully, help Joel get over some of those turnover issues. Those things. And the other thing is, yeah, you're right. It's just more fun to watch. Like, yeah, they're not running the same play every time. Doc Rivers always had this thing where it was like, I'm going to give you a very specific role and you got to stay in it. And basically that role was Joel and James are going to run pick and roll and the other three guys, you're going to stand around and you're probably going to shoot a bunch of threes. You're probably, in Tyrese Maxey's case, you're probably going to get a bunch of wide open threes, but 
he's clearly doing more this year. Like I think my friend uh, Derek had a stat where Tyrese Maxey through three games has 25 points off dribble handoff so far this wow. year. Um, he had, I think, 65 all of last year. This is three games, three three freaking games. So, and you're seeing it, right? Like the, Joel back in 2017 and 2018, he had a great two-man partnership with J.J. Redick. That was kind of the play they would run because Ben Simmons obviously wasn't doing a lot in the half court. So they would throw the ball to Joel at the elbow and they would let Joel and JJ like, like dance on the left side of the floor. This is a better version. Like Tyrese Maxey, obviously J I love JJ. He's awesome on TV. was a really good player for the Sixers. Tyrese Maxey is a better player than him. He could do a lot more stuff. He's quicker. He's, you know, he has the ball in his hands. So I, I think that is kind of the, the big difference between the two teams. It's been an awesome start. I would caution a little bit, like I, I'm expecting a little bit of regression here, but as far as like an early start and somebody who was a little skeptical that Nick Nurse, who had some really bad offenses in Toronto, could like completely change the culture here and establish this cool motion offense. It's been a terrific start, like hand up, like it's been, it's been great. And you mentioned a uh, guy standing on the corner. I think that's what made Tobias Harris absolutely the probably the most overrated player in the league was his role. He was just frozen. It looked like his confidence was just shot because he was told, do not do anything. If you get the ball and you're not open, he was almost like short circuit. I don't know if I'm supposed to yeah. drive. I don't know if I'm supposed to hit, shoot these. He would almost drive and then realize, oh man, I'm supposed to shoot. And then he would shoot these very inefficient mid-range shots and it just wasn't working. It feels like Tobias Harris might be one of the biggest beneficiaries for uh, the Nick Nurse offense as well. Which is funny because people thought he would be the beneficiary under Doc, right? Like people thought Doc was the Clippers coach when he was really good, right? And that would be the thing. Yeah, I think especially when Harden got here, Tobias's role for this team, because Max, he had ascended past him. Like that's just the truth. Um, he, he was going to get more kind of pick and roll calls. He was going to get any scraps left over from Joe on James. That's going to Tyrese. Um, but so that meant Tobias, who's making, you know, close to $40 million. His role was just stand there and shoot open threes. And frankly, it, it's kind of bothered me a little bit. Like he, he just wasn't good at that. Like he just wouldn't like he'd miss like two or three in a row. And then he'd go into a funk. It's like those plays, like you said. And I was like, well, the team actually needs you to just keep firing those. And look, I, I agree with you. Like Tobias was miscast in that role. And it was, you know, you, you look at this year, they're running plays for him. They're, you know, they're, they're having, Tyree's back screen for him so we can get some of those mid post touches. He's getting some easy looks. So Tobias always talks about like he needs to play in the flow and that's kind of how it works. It's I think it's a little bit of an excuse making like when he doesn't play quite as well, but he's clearly in a nice flow to start this year and the way they're using him just because James isn't here and even before Nick Nurse and all these cool plays, you remove just James and all of the usage that, that he brings. Tobias is the big beneficiary there for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Now, I guess it's like winning solves all problems. That's what Clay Thompson is telling us, right? Like there's not a chemistry problem last year with the Warriors. It was just that they didn't win, not the other way around. Nick Nurse seems like he was hated in Toronto. Totally. And I don't, I don't, frankly, don't get it. How are the guys from what you can understand feeling about him? And do you think it's like one of those Thibodeau things where it's uh, got an expiration date or guys play hard the first year because it's just a new voice. And then eventually maybe that starts, you know, becoming less and less effective over time. Totally. And I, I am the first person that pushes back because people in Philadelphia, I, I've never, I, I know this is every NBA fan base, man. They just hate the coach. They just hate it. It's, it's always the coach's fault when I'm like, no man, it's a player's league. So I, I found myself over the past couple of years, despite the fact he would scream at me and say, um, you know, say some not nice things in press conferences sometimes at me. Uh, I was defending Doc Rivers a lot. Like, I didn't think he did a terrible job here. I think in the regular season in particular, I thought it was okay. And I, I think, you know, when people were like, oh, okay, Nick Nurse is here. I was like, did you watch Toronto the last couple of years? Like, they weren't a great team. Um, it's It's been really good to start. Now, I, do I wonder if there's an expiration date? Yeah, I do. I do. And, you know, he has the guys playing really hard. One of the things that's also different is their defense they're flying around like they're they're rotating a lot. It's a, it's a far different system than they played under Doc. That's cool, but they play 82 games and it's like a lot of effort to play that system. So if that effort goes away, then that completely goes to shit. Like it's it's really kind of a tough thing there. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I think it's been really good to start. I think they really like the ball movement. I think they're digging kind of how Nick has handled the whole Harden situation and just kind of put it to the side. R- right now, everything is great. I, I'm just a little curious, like what happens if, you know, they start turning the ball over, they start not playing quite as hard on the defensive end. How do they handle that? But like, look, overall, like when the Sixers signed Nick Nurse, I was for it. Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, this has gone poorly in Toronto the last couple of years. The guy won a championship, and the year after that, I think it was 1920, that's one of the best single-season coaching jobs I've ever seen. Like, they were the number two seed in the East. They had just lost Kawhi. They were awesome. He does a lot of cool stuff. Like, it's, it's fun to watch. You know, he runs this box and ones and stuff like that. Um, so far, so good for him. But I, I think, like you said, is there an expiration date? I'm, I at least have my eye out for that. All right, so before we let you go, let's get your Sixers prediction where are they ranked or where are they at in the standings by the time the regular season is over? Does anyone on this team win any awards and where do they exit in the playoffs? So what, what happens? Do they, do they make a trade in the middle of the year or no? No. Okay. No. So I think my answer is pretty similar on that. Um, I have seen enough from them where I think they are going to be probably the third or the fourth seed and they're going to lose in the second round. That's the whole irony of this Harden thing. It's like, yeah, they're, yeah, their ceiling is probably not, not quite as high, but these guys, their floor is higher than you think. If Joel is like relatively healthy, if he plays 50 games, I know people always wonder about that. He, he plays more than 50 games a lot, though. Um, he's, it's been a long time since his like last catastrophic injury. Uh, their floor is really high. These guys seem to have the regular season figured out. So ultimately, I kind of think they're going to end up in the same spot again where, you know, they, they run into a Boston or Milwaukee. We'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, w- one of the things is like early in the year, like I, I kind of just, throw these results to the side you know it's like early last year people were like oh man the Sixers have no chance against Boston they're like you know they got killed by them in a couple games early in the year yeah they lost to Boston but they had a chance I think we're all talking about how they screwed up that chance yet again like they clearly had a chance to beat them they were up five with like three minutes left and and to be fair and to not to cut you off and to be fair I would take Nick Nurse over Joe Missoula in the playoffs any day Totally. You have a better coach and all those things. And like, we'll see, like Milwaukee's like not guarding anybody right now, but I would also say like, I expect them to be better at some point. Like Giannis and Dam feels like a a pretty solid pairing there. But yeah, if if you, if you made me pick, I'd say probably like the third or the fourth seed, they win that first round series again. Maybe it's a little closer than past years because the talent level's a little closer than past years. And then they, they bow out again. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they get from all these guys who are wings like Batum, like you said, I think could be a pretty good piece. Um, and then as far as awards, I'll say it like I think Maxi gets most improved. And I think, you know, if he continues to score at quite this level, that's kind of a ridiculous reward because like what is improvement? Like well, it, sometimes guys get that award in their second year when really they're just not rookies anymore and they get a little more opportunity. But he's been he's been fantastic. And I think the, the thing is, I've always kind of been not um not pessimistic but at least a little more skeptical of Tyrese Maxey's improvement he's like proved me wrong every year the guy just keeps literally getting better every single year it the way he shoots it is absolutely insane like the, the fact that I think he's gonna take like eight threes per game this year and I don't know what the percentage is gonna uh, be at the end of the year but it's probably gonna start with the four and he's like it's it's really wild to see so like yeah he's probably not good enough to be a number two option on a championship team but like i think he's good enough to be a number three which is kind of wild considering he was the number 21 pick in the draft so that that's kind of how i see the season going rich thanks so much for joining us i am super excited to see how this whole thing plays out i'm very excited for maxi very excited for tsunami poppy and pat bev that whole thing could be a reality show in its own right but we'll have to check in with you later on this season as we finally figure out what this team is. Cause like, you're, you're right. Like three games in the season, we have no idea. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. And I, I think as far as like a, somebody who's a little more dispassionate than most people, I'm just excited to not have to talk about James Harden anymore. I can just, I can just watch the basketball team three or four times a week. And then we could just get on with our lives. <laughs> I always say that uh, I said this on Twitter James Harden, owning James, like having James Harden on your team or being a fan of James Harden, like the best days of that are like owning a boat, the day you buy the boat and the day you sell the boat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like the first two games where he looks awesome for you. And then after that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> all right, man. We'll have to catch up with you soon. Thanks so much. Oh, okay. Thanks, Tristan. See ya. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. 
We'll be back Monday. Yes, we will. Kimmy Award of the Week. Who's it going to be? Will it be Shaden Sharp? Maybe. He is him. Come back Monday. Uh, check out the feed for past episodes and mini episodes, which will drop. Do not forget to download, subscribe, and tell your friends, every single one of them. Hey, if you have an ex that you're thinking about being that, like, W-Y-D, hey, are you up? It's like, hey, are you up? Yes. Oh, you're up? Send them the link to the podcast. <laughs> hey, did you hear what Trista said about Cooper Flag? I think that, especially if you're a female, like, send it to whoever, you know, if you're into women, if you're into men. But I think a man is going to really appreciate that, especially my take on Cooper Flag. Also, follow us on social at This Heat Chicken at Trista Crick on TikTok. We'll be back Monday. Thanks again. See you next time.